Just a note before we start. This episode contains strong language. That's actually my fault. Sorry. You Look Like Me, a podcast making sense of the life and families of donor-conceived people. This is my story, and it's also a place for yours. Before I turned 16, I found something out that changed my life forever. I had half-siblings that I didn't know about. Three days ago, I just found another sister. I think I've gotten numb at this point. When I met my father at 16, I found out that I'm one of at least 32 half-siblings. After more than a decade of searching, I haven't found any half-siblings yet. I constantly wonder what kind of people they are. You could be my half-sibling, you could be my half-sibling. We don't know, we have no idea. Some of them, they'll probably be completely out of reach forever, but I'll do everything in my power to find these people. Welcome to You Look Like Me. I'm Louise McLaughlin. And I grew up as an only child until in my teens, I learned that I was conceived with the help of donor sperm, a donor who had probably helped to conceive other children too. But I had no information whatsoever about who my genetic father was or who else could be on that side of my biological family. All records about the donor were destroyed to protect his identity. I was conceived in the UK and this was standard practice until just a few months after I was born. But I knew there could be other children, my own half-siblings from the same donor, out there, somewhere. Does she look like me? So we've just got a text. (laughs) She look like me? I don't know. (laughs) That's the moment I thought I might have found one. I was in London with my roommate Tyson and I was cycling through a million emotions a minute. I'll talk about that night a bit later. But the process threw up a ton of questions about what happens when people discover new siblings, which is what I want to talk about in these next two episodes. Currently, there's a UK law that says donor sperm can be used to make up to 10 DC families. That's through a licensed clinic. But that wasn't always the case. And even with those laws in place, sperm is still shipped internationally and regulations are different in different parts of the world. In the US, for example, egg and sperm donations are completely unregulated. But the difference here is scale. Egg donors can't rack up the numbers like sperm donors can. We know there's over 200. It's kind of overwhelming. That's Cynthia and her donor-conceived son, Zach. We'll come to them shortly. But first, I want to introduce you to a few others. Chelsea, Nick, Timothy, there's Keegan. Hayden, Jordan. This is Brielle. Matt, Mary, Madison, Madison. Trying to remember the names of her half-siblings. Um, oh my god, Rachel. Just off the top of her head. There's a lot of girls. Brielle is 24. She grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia with her mum, her dad, and her twin sister. Casey, 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 Casey. Until recently, she didn't know who any of these people were. I don't know, I can't do it. We have a spreadsheet. <laughs> thanks to a discovery by her twin Danielle, they now have 38 new half-siblings. And they're just the ones they know about. Last October, my twin sister did Ancestry for fun with her roommates, and that's when it came out. There's a bunch of close matches on Ancestry that didn't make sense. My sister was, like, asking my parents about who are these people. They were not really answering questions. And then finally, one of our half-sisters reached out and was like, 
hey, we were connected through siblings that share the same sperm donor as us. So if you're not aware of that, you should talk to your parents. (laughs) Wow. That's pretty blunt. (laughs) It was a little bit more casual than that, but that was just the basics of it. Like that's what it is. So my sister asked my parents, you know, and then they came out about it and then it's been a thing ever since. (laughs) Okay. So you have one person reach out to you. Remind me how many were on when you, you logged on? There was eight. And then they were like, okay, there's a large group chat if you want to connect on the group chat. And there was 21 of us total on this group chat. But the number skyrocketed since then. That was last October. And now we're at 38 donor-conceived siblings. And then two are the donors themselves. Are they on the group chat as well? No, they're young. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. What does it feel like to join a group that's already that big? Like to go in and there's already 20 people interacting on this chat. It was kind of exciting because at the time, you know, you stalk your new siblings. So we were all over Instagram, all over Facebook. And there was a time where a lot of them were really close. So there was pictures of all of them going on vacation and hanging out. And like personally where I'm at, there's like nine to 11 of us in the city of Philadelphia. So it was like really exciting because it felt like we were joining like a large group. But then sometimes it's intimidating just because I'm still new. It's not a super happy fairy tale. Like we're all adults with different lives. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, we're all like strangers, you know, it changes daily, like the feelings. Um, The first time we met a couple of the siblings, there was like seven of us at a bar. So I was like, this is weird. (laughs) Roller coaster. Do you think that maybe because you've got a, you know, a sister twin that going in, with her kind of made it easier? Yes, my um, sister bond with my twin sister has grown a lot. That definitely was a lot easier going into it with her and meeting these people with her. So talk me through, you're sitting at a bar. Are you like looking for your own face in everyone? Do they look like you? Do they look like each other? Do they act like you? (laughs) It's just small things that like blow your mind. Um, we met my half sister, Casey, you know, we were talking, I don't necessarily think that me and her look alike, but, um, there's this thing, like my pinkies are weird. Like they bend out, you know, it's just something that I've always dealt with since I was younger. My twin sister doesn't have it. Like it was just one of those things and she had it. And that like almost made me in tears. And I was like, yeah, I need a shot. (laughs) And like, we have the same head shape, our eyes, we have hooded eyelids. So like that, I could never figure out where I got that from. I have this thing on my face where it's kind of just like a line. When I saw pictures, my one brother has that. And then just some of these siblings, like I have a picture with two of my half sisters and I look like just a smush of both of them. Like, it's just like a perfect mixture. It's just strange. So literally you within the space of a year went from your little family unit as you knew it age 24 and then a few months later you ended up with 40 siblings how do you mentally digest that um sometimes it's crazy the first like month or two was really shocking it kind of felt like a whole identity crisis you know because at the end of the day, like nothing's changed in my family unit, but at the end of the day, everything's changed. So it's a lot of emotions that sometimes even now I still have to process through. I mean, it's been a year and it comes in waves sometimes. Um, But I embrace it 
You know what I mean? Um, I like it. I think it's cool. I like the new connections that I've built with people that I've never would have talked to or known in my entire life. Sometimes, I don't know, like it's definitely something different and the possibility that there's more people out there. Like now I check my ancestry every day. That's not normal. Normal people don't do that. The thing is though, you don't need to check your ancestry that much because there's 40 of you (laughs) probably looking out on it. (laughs) Some of Brielle's new half-siblings were already in touch with the donor and his brother. But even a year ago, not all of the siblings had made contact. The most crazy day, and you would think the craziest day of my life would be when I found out that my dad's not my biological dad and I have 20 plus siblings. The craziest day was we found 12 siblings in one day. And that was so overwhelming. (laughs) Like our group chat was erupting. I could not believe it. How the hell does that happen? So basically, um, I'm not on 23andMe. There was like two half sisters that are on 23andMe. And I guess because the majority of us found each other through Ancestry, they just never checked it. So our one sister messaged us and said, is anyone on 23andMe? This girl is reaching out to our donor's brother. And the donor reached out to my half sister and was like, you know, you guys should handle it. So my one half sister checked 23andMe and she was like, oh my God, there's eight of them on there. Like a bunch of them on there. (laughs) We're just like, yeah, you want to join our group? (laughs) That's crazy. It was so intense because, you know, when you find a new half sibling, at least for me anyway, you low key stalk, like you don't want to be all up in their face because you never know how someone's processing it because it could be the best day where they've known forever that they were donor conceived and now they found all these siblings or it could be like me where they had no idea And it's just a whirlwind of overwhelming thoughts and feelings. So you never want to just like bombard them. But when you get one, you look at everything. You look at their pictures. You try to like see what they're into, what they like, where they live. You can like learn it. But when there's 12, 12 new ones, my brain was fried by the end of the day. Like we were at, I think like 27. It was something very close to 30 by the time we found them. And I was like, I didn't even mentally prepare myself to get to 30, let alone to 40. I don't even know how you would mentally prepare yourself without years of kind of (laughs) a run up to it, really. Right. How does your twin sister deal with all of this? Is she kind of the same mindset as you or? Yeah, she's more into the whole ancestry thing than I am. Like she actually builds trees. Um, I think we're both on the same page where it's like, we want to meet new people. We think it's exciting. Um, We're new to the group. So every time there's someone new, we're like, hey, we do face chats. You want to come do our FaceTimes and everything? Um, So we're still like into it. I know I have a couple siblings just because they've been in it for so long. It gets overwhelming and tiring. And I get that. Like the day we found 12, I completely understood how processing it is just so tiresome sometimes. it's just nuts. (laughs) And so joining a group that was as large as that was, like, it must have been really daunting. Did you feel quite overwhelmed or? The first week in general was really overwhelming just because, you know, you watch movies, you watch documentaries about people where it's like, your dad's not your dad. And you just never really think that that would be you. And I don't really think it was the sibling aspect that overwhelmed me too much. It was more of the grieving that biological loss with my father. That was the most stressful. 
And then after that, once I was able to grieve that and kind of process that a little bit and realize this is the new normal, then I was able to dive into the siblings because at the time it was like 11 siblings that lived in the area. So it was more of like, okay, like there's these people that seem interested in knowing me. And I've always wanted that big, happy family. I've always wanted more siblings like growing up and obviously once you meet these people, it's not necessarily like, you're my sister, I love you. But it's the idea of like trying to build that bond. Um, I have like a brother and a sister that grew up less than 10 miles from me. They're one month younger than me. We have a couple mutual friends in common. And I've gotten really close with my brother. Did you already have friends in common? Yeah, we had a couple friends in common. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> it was extremely close, a little too close to comfort for me personally. That's why there's a couple of things in regards to that, that freak people out. The idea that anybody walking down the street could be related to you. That was, you know, that's the scariest part for me is I don't know who, and thank God I'm in a relationship now, <laughs> but dating, I was single for like the first couple months after I found out. And that was very terrifying for me. Cause it's like, you have to look at dating in a completely different aspect. And you know, the fact that I had a brother that I knew nothing about that has mutual friends in common with me really struck a note in regards to how I feel about the donor conceived process in general. Yeah, you're so right. And that's the problematic part really, isn't it? That's the bit that I think once you explain that to people that hits home and they go, shit. <laughs> yeah. And I try to explain it to people in the most not offensive, not disturbing way possible. But that's, that's the thing as well. It's because it's so taboo that it sounds, sounds creepy. Yeah. It makes us feel weird. Yeah. It makes us feel like other or yeah. Creepy. Yeah. yeah. No, it's awful. I hate it, but you're so right. And everyone I've interviewed has said the exact same thing. Like it's obviously so on the mind of people, especially with large sibling groups. Yeah. And I mean, even in regards, like, let's just disregard the idea of meeting your sibling at the wrong time and not knowing who they were. I have multiple siblings, me and my brother, my twin sister and my other half sister. We've been at the same concerts. We've been at the same sporting events. We've been to the same places at the same time. We can confirm that. And like, not even know, like I'm from Philadelphia. I have a sister who works at a ski resort in Colorado had no idea about her and I was skiing the same weekend that she was working that's so weird Weird. are you sure there's not like a tiny camera following you and it's just like your life's a movie now oh my god I've had so many people tell me that we should be on Netflix honestly well (laughs) podcast first but yeah it is it's one of those things that you can't make it up right and it's And it's just so weird because I keep hearing these stories from so many other people. It just, it seems unbelievable. And then you realize that not only has it happened once, it's happening to so many people in so many different pockets. It's bonkers. And what's crazy to me is that this happens every day. And obviously we know this because we're in the donor conceived community. And like, we talk to people about their stories and we hear and we listen. But if you walk down the street, even to your, you know, your friend that you haven't seen from high school or whatever, because I get people asking all the time, I'm very open with the fact that I'm donor conceived. So I'll post things on my Instagram and Facebook. And I get people who are like, what are you talking about? Who are these siblings? Because obviously they know that I have a twin sister and that's it. And I tell my story and it just blows people's minds. Like I had to stop using it as party conversations because I would be at a party and then all of a sudden the party would stop and everybody's listening to my crazy story. (laughs) And it's like one of those things that you can't walk away from after a five minute explanation because everybody's got questions. 
And the biggest thing for me is education. Um, just because like, I feel like that's the best part and the most overwhelming part for me of becoming donor conceived is, um, I feel like I now owe it to people like me to explain the issues that come along with it and the lack of human rights that we have that you don't really think about. Like, and I didn't think about it when it wasn't happening to me. I didn't think that this was an issue. And now you have a completely different mindset. Like I remember two years ago, my girlfriend was talking about being an egg donor because it pays you like $8,000 in America and um, had no issue with that. I mean, I was like, I'm not really down for it, but like whatever girl do your thing. And now I have a completely different opinion. And it's basically just because of the experiences, not necessarily that I have experienced because I'm kind of, I have a pretty decent spot in the donor conceived community. Like I've heard horror stories that break my heart. <laughs> so there's fireworks going on outside. And in my heart. <laughs> okay, what you're hearing is years of frustration and hope mixed with excitement and adrenaline and a lot of anxiety. Oh my God. Here I am with my flatmate Tyson on a dark winter evening in 2017. It's the 4th of November one night before the UK celebrates bonfire nights, hence the fireworks. <laughs> I just received a message from someone who might be my half-sister. Louise has oh. got a message from a stranger. Who might not be a stranger. <laughs> Back in the 2000s, when I first knew I was donor-conceived, my options for finding biofamily were really limited. Straight-to-market tests like 23andMe didn't really exist in the way they do now. Over this time, I took a fair few DNA tests, joined a handful of support groups, and hit a dozen dead ends. Hope of finding my donor was fading, and my energy was all but out. I'd grown tired of trying to find myself in the face of random men with brown hair and blue eyes. Still, The idea that I might have a half-brother or sister felt different, and much more hopeful. For a start, there was probably more than one. Plus, if they knew they were DC, they could be actively looking as well. As an only child, the concept of siblings was completely alien to me. It made it all the more fascinating. Well, after years of living in Dublin and America, at 25, I moved back to London and everything changed. Back to the moment you heard earlier. Does she look like me? Sorry, we've just got a text. (laughs) I don't know. I'm seeing the face of a woman who could be my biological half-sister for the very first time, and I'm praying that she is. I reckon she's got similar eyes. I was looking at her face (laughs) on WhatsApp beside a UK number. Is this a sister? (laughs) Jess is also DC and had joined Ancestry not long after I had. She matched with me immediately. Oh so do you, do you have a profile picture on yours? Yeah. Okay, so she's already seen you. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> I've rewatched the videos from that night so many times to relive that cocktail of emotion. Shock, joy, and an overwhelming relief that my search might be over. And then just under the surface, that fear that maybe we were interpreting the results incorrectly. 
and that I was on the cliff edge of one of the biggest disappointments of my life. So I'm asking her, she was born a year before I was, I'm telling her the clinic I was conceived in. And if it's the same clinic, then it's happening. Jess was showing up in the Ancestry database as a potential half-sister or cousin. But donors could like, theoretically, donate everywhere. It's gotta be real. Those slutty donors <laughs> spreading their seed across the UK. <laughs> So a big sister, potentially. There were a few more hoops to jump through before we'd know for sure. Stay tuned. Yeah, there's people out there, they might look like me. What about it? I was dealing with one possible half-sibling. Zach, who is still only 16, has dealt with hundreds. Over 200 genetically related half-brothers and sisters and his mum, Cynthia, found herself having to start a Facebook group for all of the families helped by Zach's donor. They're in Washington, DC. The scale was shocking. Zach has taken it in his stride. He has two mums, so he always knew what that meant. From a young age, they always just told me that I was donor-conceived, so that was my normal. So how do your friends react, or people you just meet when you bring this up casually, that you have 200 siblings? Um, at my school, there's multiple Zachs. They'd be like Big Zach, Little Zach, or they'll be like the Zach with two moms or the Zach with a bunch of siblings. So that's just how they identify me. At first I thought I was like, that's kind of weird. But then I just kind of got used to it because I was like, well, I mean, they're not wrong. He doesn't hide any of this. He's pretty open about it. Well, I don't see any need to hide it. Yeah. If this is your life, why not make it normal? I mean, that's why he's like, this is not a big deal. This is normal. How many siblings did you kind of know that you had? Because um, I know that they've started kind of rolling in in different amounts. What was the kind of first number you remember having? Honestly, she'd always told me like, oh, we found a new sibling. And I mean, I was always like, cool, but I had no idea how many there were until about a week ago when I actually asked. We never really discussed numbers with him because sometimes those kind of numbers would be very overwhelming. I mean, they were overwhelming to us as adults. And how does a kid explain, yeah, I've got 150 half-siblings, you know? Now he's got the capacity to, I guess, put that more in perspective than he did when he was younger. Cynthia, when you decided to go down the donor route, did you have any idea that there would be this many siblings? <laughs> um, when we first started our group, he was almost two and a half, three years old at that point. There were seven families that had children by this donor. When we were looking for a donor, it just said that he had one known pregnancy. So we didn't think that was a big deal, but apparently he was very popular. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> and then they just started piling in. <laughs> but um, we notified the sperm bank when they hit 100 children that we knew and could identify by parents, where they lived, names, birth dates, because the sperm bank did not keep track of them. The oldest is a little over 18, and the youngest that we know of right now is three. Parents like Cynthia are doing the work that, arguably, the sperm banks and clinics should have done. Supporting each other and trying to keep track of individual donors like Zach's. If he donated as often as it appears, not appears, I don't know for sure. If you do the math, not counting for triplets, twins, because we have both of those, divide each one of those in 10 to 14 samples, you run into a fair number of children. That's potentially 600. 
There was no regulation. I suppose 600 would feel really big to me. It, it's hard to think about because it is my normal, but that is just such a big number that it would be a little bit odd. Out of the 200, how many are you in contact with? Like a third, maybe. He met his first half siblings when he was about three. I don't know if you ever heard of a place called Sesame Place, but it's up in Pennsylvania and it is a children's theme park for young children, all based on Sesame Street. So we did meet up there um, with another family who we have remained very close with. And we had him and this other little girl in the stroller and people thought they were twins. But at that point, the kids thought they were just friends. I mean, they're three, four years old. They're playing and they're kids. Some of them we've met up with multiple times. And uh, most of the time, it's just like we're going like on a trip or on a vacation. We're just like, hey, there's siblings in this area. Do you guys want to like meet up? I don't think we've dedicated a visit strictly to just visiting siblings. But when they were little, we did. We did a Disney trip where we took a a bunch of families, came to Disney and a, a bunch of the kids got together. But as they've gotten older, We don't travel purely to visit. He travels for sports. Uh, What sports do you play, Zach? I play ice hockey. Oh, very cool. Now we've been a hockey family. I think hockey family is a whole nother podcast because that will take over your world. (laughs) Zach, out of your sibling group, who are you closest to? Probably um, these three sisters. They were the first ones I think we met up with. Pretty much. They were the first ones I ever met. I don't remember meeting them then, but... They've always just been there, and I've visited them multiple times. And the youngest of the group is like a little sister that I've like raised over the years, and I've getting <laughs> seen the progression. They're probably the closest. Do you text them often, or is it just meeting up? Um, we actually have like an Instagram group chat. Um, don't know how active they've been because I'm currently grounded. Oh, <laughs> what did you do? Um, I stayed up too late. Oh, well, Cynthia, thank you for letting him do this, even though he's grounded. Well, that's okay. I mean, this is a little different than playing on his phone or playing with the Xbox. (laughs) How many are on the chat? There's about 10 to 12 of us. You guys are all about 16, 17 years old, right? Yeah, we all kind of know we're related, but I mean, it's not like the defining factor for most of us. We usually define ourselves by other things. Like for me, it's hockey. For some of them, it's music or academics mm-hmm. and um i remember a couple times where like we'd find a new sibling and they'd be interested in talking to us so we'd just look them up on instagram and add them to the chat and everyone be like hey you know it's there but a lot of the families have chosen not to participate in meeting up i mean there are some families who have not told their children they're donor conceived but they're still part of our group personally i think that's a disservice to the children in this day and age you really have to share with your kids. I understand with the younger kids, they're young. They haven't gotten all the, the, the knowledge yet, and they're still figuring all this out. But, you know, we have a lot of single mothers by choice and lesbian parents. So you have to know that the sperm came from somewhere. And once they're old enough to understand that they needed a sperm to do that, they, the kids need to understand that that came from somewhere else. We do have a lot of kids coming in now who are in their teens who are taking DNA tests who did not know they were donor conceived. Just this week, we have yet another child who is being added to our roles, who's found us. But when new people show up, we contact them and I send a message and usually we'll send a message and ask to speak to the parent. 
because you don't know how old the person is on the other end of the computer. Um, I give out my phone number to these people I don't know because if your kid did this and some stranger saying, um, I need to talk to your mother, you know, I'd want to know who was trying to talk to my kid. Has anyone ever said, no, don't you dare tell my kid? No. Um, and I don't tell the kid. It's not my place to tell their child anything. My gosh. I, I tell the parent and I let the parent tell the kid. Um, and I've done that several times. And I can still remember the first time I actually talked to a woman. I was like, okay, I need you to sit down for a minute and just listen and then start asking questions. It's like, you need to sit down for this. <laughs> and she was really pretty good, but I still remember you could hear her audibly intake air and just, oh my God. <laughs> I gave her a couple of days and she called me back. She's like, okay, I have questions now. Cynthia offers emotional support as well as practical guidance, and she lets parents know about other same donor families who are local. Zach has half-siblings in Canada, England, Israel, but most of them, unsurprisingly, appear to be in America. We have a fair number on the East Coast in the DC general area, um, up in New Jersey, Texas, California. I mean, we're everywhere in the United States. The DC area, I used to say you, you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a sibling. And here comes a theme we've heard before, but one that for me really highlights just how important it is to be honest with DC people about the possibility of genetic half-siblings. The biggest thing we can do is make sure our kids know. So when he decides later on down the line, oh, I may want to settle down with somebody, he can have that conversation and say, would you mind if we did a DNA test? which sounds creepy, but. I mean, yeah, it makes some complication. I gotta be like, hey, I wanna hook up with like my my sister. That's a little bit weird. In my head, I've been like, oh, that'll never happen to me. Probably should think that way. <laughs> but there have been times where I've just been like, you look a little bit too much like me. <laughs> and I was just like, that's not a chance I wanna take. <laughs> and do you do you guys know the donor? I presume was he based in DC? Is that why there's so many there? We believe we have found him, but the last time somebody thought they found a donor, the man was mistakenly identified. But through DNA, it wasn't real difficult. The man's social media posts, all the descriptors we have of him are covered. He has three children who look exactly like our children, but we've chosen not to share that information with the other families nor to contact him because we agreed to anonymity. But the kids who've turned 18, nobody has um, made any kind of move or has publicly said, yeah, we're looking for him. We want to do that. I think that if we contacted him, A, he'd be freaked out to learn he has so many children. But on the flip side of that, he has to know. <laughs> you know, he donated a lot of sperm. <laughs> and I'm sure college kids, it's easy money. But still, there's a consequence to every action. I mean, that's, that's what this is. But like I said, we've chosen not to pursue him in any way. If Zach wants to, that'll be his call when he's 18. So Zach, you're almost 17. I mean, that's kind of a year away. What are your thoughts and feelings at the moment? Honestly, not really interested. I mean, he donated a lot. So it's not like to him I'd be special at all. <laughs> He's never really been in my life, so I mean, to me, he'd be a stranger, and to him, I'd be a stranger. So I don't think there's any real need to meet him. You know, if I did by some chance meet him and be like, you know, 
height, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of an awkward situation, but I'm not going to like seek him out. Do you think if there were fewer of you, would you be more inclined to be interested or would it make no difference? No, I don't think it'd make a difference because I don't know him and he doesn't know me. So in a way he sold me. <laughs> wow, that's an interesting phrase. I've never heard that said before. Is that something you've said before that he sold you? No, I've said more descriptive vulgar things that I don't think would be appropriate. <laughs> I found these comments really fascinating. Although Zach seems fairly unbothered by the way he was conceived and at peace with the number of half-siblings out there, the fact that he threw out the idea of being sold it made me think of how other DC people have often told me they feel like commodities. The fertility industry is only growing, as more and more couples and singles turn to donation. And as the industry swells, so does its bank account. It is a business, after all. And it often feels as though the laws that should be there to support DC people either don't see us as people at all, or simply aren't moving fast enough to protect us. And that's the issue, right? The rules on donor conception are different around the world, as are the ethics. And in both cases, you could argue that, sometimes, they're not even there. However much donor-conceived people try to normalise our experience, when those systems are not in place, or fail, where does that leave us? Around three years ago, I was only a few hours into trying to adjust to an insane thought. I might have an actual half-sister. I called on the DC community through a ton of Facebook groups, scrambling to work out the DNA relationship between me and Jess as we messaged frantically. So many people in these groups had already been through this process, and they jumped forward to help. Side note, these groups are incredibly welcoming and valuable for DC people, I'll include a recommendation at the end. I need to be honest, I still don't really understand the ins and outs of how the matching all works. I know that there's a lot of jargon, a lot of data, some talk of centimorgans. Then finally, there was a website called GEDmatch, which people on Facebook led me to. It analyzes the data you get from other DNA testing sites like Ancestry and 23andMe. And from that data, it tells you the relationship you have with the other person. So what's that full blue line mean? This full blue line means that I have officially found my fucking sister. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> Within two weeks, we'd arranged to meet. Where all good journeys begin, I guess, at a train station. And that's where we're going next, that first meeting and what, if anything, comes after. One of the things I've been thinking about is how should we deal with the day-to-day -day experience of found sibling relationships? What happens if they don't want to know you, or you don't want to know them? If you want to continue the conversation, you can find me on Twitter at youlooklikeme underscore. There are also great Facebook groups like the one I mentioned earlier. My favourite is We Are Donor Conceived. It's run by a DC woman called Erin Jackson, and I'll be speaking to her in another episode. Until then, if you liked this, tell someone. I'm Louise McLaughlin, thank you for listening, and don't forget to share.
liked this podcast, please do consider supporting us. We're a team of two, all self-funded, and it's done alongside our day jobs. If you want to support us, you can buy us a virtual coffee or a pint at coffee.com, that's ko-fi.com forward slash you look like me. Or you can set up a recurring donation in an amount of your choice at patreon.com forward slash you look like me. If you can't remember those links, don't worry, you can find both on our Twitter page. Mm-hmm.